Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. I told Jerry this week, I said, you know, I, I want to write a book. I keep saying that. Um, the title of this book is going to be How to Always Be Right. To which she said, that is the most Kellogg thing she's ever heard in her life. <laughs> I want you to hear humility. It's not a desire to be right out of arrogance or out of pride. It's an attempt to always do the right thing. I believe if you strive to do the right things, history will record you in the right. It's a Galatians 6.9. It says, never get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, you'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. There are big situations that, that you go through, people go through, leaders go through, whether you're a parent, whether you're a boss, whether you're a manager, whether you're an owner, whether you go through things, and then there's people on the peripheral that are watching you. A lot of the times today, they're posting about you on Facebook or, or criticizing you. They don't know the details. They don't know what you know. They don't know all of the circumstances. All they know is their perspective. All they know is their opinion. And emotions get involved and opinions start flying. And there's just times that leaders, there's times that you and I, we have to make decisions that they don't understand everything. And in those moments, I want to always be right. Not out of arrogance, but out of accuracy. I, I want to get the big moments of life right. You want to know how to always be right? Live your life doing the right things. We've been on this journey with Jesus Today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. I know there'll be a slide pop up in a minute that says Mark 16, clerical error, my fault. But anyway, we're, we're walking on this journey with Jesus, and today we're going to encompass a character in his story that plays just a small role at two different timeline, two different places on the timeline of Jesus' life. He's important to the ministry of Jesus, and Mark, the gospel writer, says, hey, we need to stop and tell this story and give these details. And I'll be, if I'm full transparency, I was going to skip this. I mean, Matt keeps harassing me that we're going to be in 2027 before we're done with the Gospel of Mark, which is all right. But I almost skipped it because it doesn't really pertain to Jesus. It pertains to John the Baptist, this other character that we're going to look at. I, I just thought, well, let's just skip over it and, and get back to Jesus. But when you look at what's going on here, I believe if you and I will approach the text today, if we'll approach Scripture with open hands, open eyes, open ears, and open hearts, that I believe we really can, it, it will help us take our next step in our spiritual growth, specifically towards spiritual maturity in the day and time that we live in. And so if you've got your Bible, Mark chapter 6 is where we're at. And um, do want to invite you to join us Wednesday night if you're relatively new to Hill Spring to it's what we call growth track, step one, step two. We do both of them on Wednesday evening. Love for you to come if, like, if you're new. And step one really is just kind of orientation. You can kind of hear about how we got here and so on and so forth. And then just step two talks a little bit about our ministry model. We feed you dinner, take care of your kids. So come, you can RSVP on our website. But would love to have you there. Mark chapter six is where we're at. Let's jump in with verse 16. It said, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. Okay, so Mark is gonna tell you about how John got beheaded. I'm not gonna go all the way into that part of the story today. I want to dig into kind of the tension that how John got here. And so when Herod started to hear about Jesus and Jesus' ministry and his fame and the crowds that were gathering, 
He, he thought, well, maybe it's John because they do some of the same things. They have disciples that follow them. They preach. They teach. And so, no, 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 no. It's not John the Baptist. It's, it's, it's a new guy. It's Jesus. Verse 17, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Okay? So Mark's going to tell the story of what happened to John the Baptist. She had been his brother's Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John, wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless, for Herod respected John. Knowing that he was good and a holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he still liked to listen to him. But to be honest, you read that, it gets confusing, especially, especially if you like have some Bible knowledge and the name of Herod and so on and so forth. And so this, it's kind of a confusing story. The more I dug into it, the more I read about the names and being married to Philip and then to this Herod. It, like, it, it just gets crazy. And so I was in Pastor Matt's office and just talking about, hey, I really want to know, like when I can go, like history teacher-like, this can get real confusing. And I want to talk about all these characters because I have just the thing you need to illustrate this. And Pastor Matt pulls out of his desk drawer, he pulls out a bag of Barbie dolls. It was weird. I don't... And I know they're his because this one doesn't have shoes. I mean, that's just... So I'm going to do my best... My daughter's deathly embarrassed right now. It's fine. I'm a, I'm a girl, Dad. I'm fine. Oh, sympathy. I am going to do my best to explain what in the Texas Longhorns is going on right there in that she's married to this brother, then married to that brother, and so on and so forth. But before I can get to Ken Barbie here, I want to start with uh, kind of the, the godfather of the Herodian dynasty, and it's a guy named Antipater the Edemian. Okay, Antipater the Demian, and I'm only going to say it once, right? I'm lucky to get that out, all right? And as best as we can understand, and it's a little bit confusing here, but Antipater claimed to be a Jew. He claimed to be a descendant of Abraham. And so he adopted, or some say he converted to Judaism or the Jewish religion, all right? He actually had a relationship with Caesar, and Caesar found himself in a little bit of a pickle and a battle down in Egypt, and Antipater came to his rescue um, at the uh, Battle of Alexandria. And, and his reward, Antipater's reward for kind of rescuing Caesar was, then Caesar made him the governor of what we would call modern-day Israel. And that Jordan, I mean, like all that part right there, he made him the governor of Judea. Antipater had a bunch of kids, like 10 Two of his sons, he gave like leadership roles. He made them governors under his reign, okay? One of them we haven't, we, we, we don't find in scripture. We don't really read a lot about in history, but son number one was Phasaelus, and he became the governor of the area of Jerusalem. But the second son we're gonna introduce as Herod the first, okay? So, when, when you see Herod the first, who's all snappy dressed, and really he should have gray hair because he's kind of the, he's kind of the older of the characters we're going to talk about. When you see him, you should think about Buddy the Elf. Remember Buddy the Elf, the Christmas movie, right? And Buddy the Elf is up in the big store in what they were calling the North Pole, you know, and then the manager comes out with his clipboard and he goes, all right, listen up. 
Tomorrow, Santa's going to be here. And Buddy goes, Santa, I know him. Uh, you with me? You know what I'm talking about in the movie? Okay. Uh, we know him. We know this Herod. Matter of fact, we're going to call him Christmas Herod. All right? I know him because he's actually in the Christmas story. You read the Gospels. It talks about a Herod. That's this one. He has kids, and we're going to get into his kids in just a minute. So Santa, I know Herod. I know. He wasn't a good guy. He actually um, was a little bit intimidated that there were rumors that the Messiah had been born. He was responsible for the murder of the innocents. When he got word that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, he went and had every boy in the town under the age of two years of age and younger killed. It's what history records as the murder of innocents. God sent word to Mary and Joseph. They got Jesus out of there. So Jesus was rescued from that. He was saved from that. But that is Herod the first, all right? He was there. He wasn't at the birth of Jesus, but he was in charge when Jesus was born, okay? Now, if you remember what I talked about, his dad, Antipater, he claimed to be Jewish, okay? Antipater claimed to be Jewish, and he either adopted or converted. It's a little crazy in history or a little swirly on what, what really happened, but they claimed to be Jewish and follow the Jewish religion, okay? Now, when Christmas Herod was in charge, he told his historians, he's like, hey, um, when, you're, when you're writing in your history pages there and you write about my family, I want you to record us as elite Jewish, not just Jewish people, but elite Jewish people, and add this detail in there that during the Babylonian exile, which took place during Daniel and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, those books of the Bible, Tell them that we were the elite, that we got carted off to Babylon. Tell them that. Like it was at Herod's command that they write that into the history that they be elite Jewish. Christmas Herod was a little bit crazy, just like your pastor up here playing with Barbie dolls, right? Okay, so I, some of you that are thinking, what in the world? If he uses the words they, them, we're out. I'm not, I'm not, I'm good, right? Okay, it's a little weird, all right? But he had like seven kids and he was, he was kind of jealous. And he thought that two of his sons wanted his position, and so he killed two of his boys, okay? He killed a son by the name of Alexander, and then he killed a son by the name of Aristobulus, all right? No, you don't have to remember these names. There's no quiz at church. Can I get an amen, all right? Aristobulus had a daughter by the name of Herodias, okay? Herodias' hair is just not good today, all right? So, Aristobulus had this daughter named Herodias. Keep in mind, he killed his own son, who was her father. I'm really sorry, Kaylee. <laughs> this is really embarrassing, your dad is. It's for the people to understand. It's for your own good. So, Christmas Herod gave her in marriage to one of his other sons, okay? So he now takes his granddaughter that he killed her father and he gives her in marriage to a guy by the name of Philip. He looks like a Philip, doesn't he? Like he's kind of got the college vibe going on. Oh, Philip. Okay. Her uncle. I've lost you. It's fine. <laughs> the math tells us that he was likely 38 years old old when she was born, 
Everybody go, oh. What in the Alabama Crimson Tide's happening here, right? <laughs> so Herodias and Philip are married. They have kids. But eventually, they get divorced, all right? If I can make him. All right, so they're, you don't, you don't like my family. I am your family. <laughs> you don't like my mom. Your mom's my sister-in-law, you know. <laughs> well, psh. if you're a guest with us, I promise. <laughs> like, one of the only times, I can't say it's the only time, but one of the only times I've ever used Ken Barbie to talk about Jesus. So anyway, she gets a divorce from husband number one, Philip, and she uh, marries his brother, Herod, okay? So these two are brothers. This one is also named Herod, but so is that one. That's Christmas Herod. This is Easter Herod. I know it's confusing, right? Because when you're reading the story about Jesus, you assume Herod, you think it's the same person. Well, Herod that was alive when Jesus was born actually died in 4 BC, which is why we think Jesus was actually born 5 or 6 BC, okay? So Christmas Herod is dead. This is Easter Herod, because as you're reading about Jesus' arrest and his trial and even hear about John the Baptist, Herod, it's not Christmas Herod, it's Easter Herod that has John arrested and kind of likes the guy. He kind of likes to listen to him. She divorces brother number one, marries brother number two, and you just thought reality TV had like the issue. No, 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 no. Like this all crazy up in here. And what's crazy is you read about the Herodian dynasty, this was kind of normal for them. Clearly from Alabama, right? So you have Philip that now is bitter and out of the picture, right? You've got Herodias and Herod, Antipas is his name. Now, let me put up on the screen for you Leviticus chapter 20. And I want you to keep in mind that their grandfather claimed to be Jewish. Okay? And their dad said, hey, when you write about history and you write about my family, make sure you include that we were elite Jewish and we got carried off to Babylon during the exile. Whether it happened or not, we don't know, but we want you to tell that story about us. Okay, and so she divorces brother number one, marries brother number two, and then Levitical law, this was the law that God gave to the children of Israel. Okay, he gave it through Moses, and this is Leviticus chapter 20, verse 21. It says, if a man marries his brother's wife, they're impure. Okay, and it's an act of impurity. He has violated his whole family. He's violated his brother. The guilty couple will remain childless. Okay, now, it was illegal to divorce one brother and marry the mother and, and marry the other unless death was involved. Now there's another, and I, I, don't, I know this is already confusing enough with me playing with dolls, but if death was involved, then you could, and actually it was actually required that you marry the next brother because if you remember, there was a story where Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees come and try to trap him and they're like, Jesus, we have a question for you. Like if this one lady is married to a brother and he dies and she marries the next and they all die and they're really, sorry babe, they were really trying to talk about heaven. Um, so if a brother died, she could and actually was requested to 
marry the other brother. That's not the case here. There's divorce going on, okay? And so John the Baptist, who is a rather unique dude, he wore camel hair. This one doesn't have shoes, proving it is Matt's doll and why well, I picked it to be John the Baptist, and he's got the camel shade. He's mooning me right now. I don't even know what's going on there, okay? So this is John the Baptist, and he shows up on the scene, and he's like, you can't do that. And she's like, shut up. It's like, no, you, you claim to be Jewish. Your dad said you were elite Jewish. You had, is this being videoed? Holy cow, this is going on YouTube. <laughs> that moment when you just realize, hmm. To all my pastor friends, I love you. I highly respect you. Don't judge me for this, right? <laughs> Hill Springs laughing louder now, and they have in years. Let's be real, all right? John shows up, and he's like, it's against the law. And she's like, shut up. And then she looks at her husband like, I don't like him. And he's like, yeah, but he's kind of cool. I mean, look at his pants. You can't do that. It's against the law. So anyway, as a favor to his sister-in-law slash wife, do that math, he has John put in prison. Okay? And John's in prison for the better part of two years. You can go on and read the rest of Mark chapter 6, and it tells the rest of John's story about how, he, um, how he's in prison, but then how they kind of tricked Herod, because Herod really kind of liked the guy. He liked to talk to him, so on and so forth. Uh, let me show you verse 19. It says, so Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless for Herod respected John, knowing that he was good and a holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked to John, but even so, he still liked to listen to him. So keep in mind, for two years, John the Baptist had been out doing a couple of things. Actually, his whole life, two years he was in prison, his whole life he had done two things. Number one, he had called people to repentance. Like, come and repent, and he would baptize people as a sign of repentance. But then secondly, he also prepared the way for the Messiah. He prepared the way that Jesus, and matter of fact, two of his first disciples, two of Jesus' first disciples were actually followers of John the Baptist. Andrew was one of them. We don't know what the other one's name was, but he was out doing this. And John the Baptist, you think cancel culture is new? Cancel culture was not new. Cancel culture shows up in Mark chapter six because Herodias wanted John the Baptist canceled. If you say what I don't like, canceled. If you say what I don't want to hear, canceled. And John got, like lost his head canceled because they actually behead him in this story. And I tried to rip the head off the doll, but it didn't like, so I didn't mess with it. Matt would have been upset if I had to his doll, right? John had a choice. He could have kept his head, but to keep his head, he'd have had to keep his mouth shut. And I don't know you, but when I read this story, there's, there's this part of me that's like, John, man, was it worth it? Did you really think Herod was going to listen to you? Did you really think Herodias was going to repent and go back to her other brother husband? Like, when you're dealing with people of power like they are, they're going to do what they want to do when they want to do it. John, you're not going to change anything. You're not going to convince anyone. So was it worth it? But John knew something. He knew that position does not put me above the law, specifically God's law, okay? So John really had no choice. So what we're gonna see today in scripture in the way God created him, the way God made him, John had no choice because God had called him. And John chose his calling over comfort. 
He could have kept his head. He would have just had to keep his mouth shut. He could have kept his head. He could have lived, but John didn't know any other way. He didn't. That's the way God made him. Let's be real. Did his calling out their sin change a single thing? Probably not. Did it have an impact on the situation? No. But John, and you and I as followers of Christ, we have to do what is right, whether the end result will be what we want or not. We're called to do what's right. That's why Galatians 6, 9 says, never get tired of doing the right thing. What do you do when you're called and it'd be easier not to? I know what I've done times in my life I didn't when I should have. Times in your life it'd have been easier not to and so we don't. Jonah was called and commissioned by God to go preach to the, go preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. But, but Jonah chose the easy route, right? And it didn't work out because he tried the easy route and instead he became an hors d'oeuvre. Okay? A couple of things I want you to see. Good things in life don't get a paycheck. Don't. I don't get paid to be a husband. I don't get paid to be a dad. Now, there's emotional, I mean, it's incredible for me to see my wife and daughter this morning up here leading worship side by side. That's great, but they ain't no money attached to that. Matter of fact, I gotta buy them lunch afterwards. I don't get paid to be a friend. Now, I will clarify that sometimes I do have to bribe and buy my friends, but ain't no money flowing my way, okay? The good, think about this, the good things in your life you don't get paid to do. Those relationships, man, the fun stuff in life, you don't get paid to do. But then secondly, the world needs, you and I, the world needs good people to do good things or bad people will do bad things. You and I, as good people, we need to do good things or it creates space for bad people to do bad things. John had a calling. It was how God built him. It was in his wiring. And it cost him dearly. And he would have told you, I had no choice. I gotta be who God created me to be. I gotta do what God called me to do. I gotta live the way he wants me to live. The callings are different than vocations. Vocations are what we do for the paycheck. Calling is who we are. I can stop being a radio disc jockey. I retired from that a long time ago. I can stop being an announcer. I can even stop being a pastor. But there are some things in me that I just cannot stop doing. I am a hugger. And I can't stop. And it drives some of you crazy. And I know that. And I hug you more. <laughs> you loved COVID. <laughs> no touchy, right? <laughs> Fooled again. There are things about you. There are things about me that God made you that way. Maybe you're a worshiper. Maybe you're a giver. Maybe you're a servant. Maybe you're a doer. Maybe you're a, a, a faith person. Maybe you're an encourager. God made you that way. God wired you that way. He called you. And many times we give into that and he's equipped you for such a time as this. For good people to do good things so that bad people can't do bad things. We got to be who we are called to be. Now, everybody repeat after me. Say, I love... <laughs> 
you bread. First service just looked at me. They're like, I ain't falling for that, right? I want, you to, I want to be very clear. This is not a license to say, oh, well, that's just who I am, and then go on and be a jerk. Oh, that's just who I am, and go on and gossip. Oh, I just got to be me. Just being a realist, and then you're spewing negativity and doubt everywhere. No, 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 no. You, you can't walk in here and go, well, Pastor Brent said I've got to be able to No, no, no. God called you to be a person of faith. God called you to build the kingdom. God called you to be an encourager. God called you to stand when the pressure gets hot. I've got to be who God called me to be. Can I get an amen? Give me a sweat rag up in here. Following Christ is who we are. Doing our best to love and encourage and lead is who we are. No matter what the title, no matter the setting, that was John the Baptist. He was just doing what God called him to do, he chose his calling over comfort, all right? Secondly, he chose conviction over convenience, okay? It really would have just been easier not to. He could have not gone to Jerusalem and not called out their sin. It would been easier not to. He'd have kept his head. So when we started, it feels like, months ago when we started walking through the gospel of Mark, many of you came up and like, hey, have you seen The Chosen? And Jerry and I like started, like we watched episode one and then we kind of got distracted, but so many people had said, man, you're preaching through Mark and we're talking about Jesus and we're seeing these stories come to life. We just jumped right in there. It's been amazing. Like that, we just love watching the, the Chosen. And honestly, there is a scene that comes to my mind. I was going to skip John the Baptist and keep telling Jesus stories. But there's a scene, it's probably The Chosen that's why we're having this conversation today. And the scene is Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptist, and they're standing in the middle of the road, and John is telling all of, all of Jesus' followers, he's telling Jesus, man, I gotta go to Jerusalem. I gotta go, man. Herod is married, his sister-in-law, and you know they claim to be Jewish elite. They're not. I gotta go to Jerusalem. And there's this scene, and it just kind of sticks in my mind. And Jesus says to him, listen, John, if you go, and then he stops, and John just says, I know. It's as if he said, this is who I am. This is what I do. I have to go. This is what God called, wired, made me to do. He chose conviction over convenience. Now, in church world, the word conviction has two meanings. And so I wanna pause here for just a second and kind of flesh out those two meanings. The first word conviction, it's a term that we will use and it's how God's spirit like helps us grow, helps us get better and, and I would say talks to us, deals with us about our sin. Like when you do something, man, God just kind of puts his thumb on that. You, you've talked about somebody you shouldn't have or, or done something you shouldn't have and, and God's spirit just kind of puts his thumb here. And, and sometimes it can, it can feel similar to guilt. Um, it's never condemnation, it's never heavy, it's never shame. It's just God's way of going, man, man, my girl, you can do better. I, you're better than this. And here's how you can tell the difference between conviction and condemnation is because conviction, when God's convicting you, it always comes with this faith or this kind of like, no, 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 this is not God's best. Here, I wanna help you. Like there's just this spiritual energizing that, you know what, I'm, you're right. This is not my best and I'm gonna move forward. And the Holy Spirit's like, here, let me help you. 
okay? So it can be confused with guilt and shame and condemnation, but it's when the Holy Spirit is putting his thumb on things saying, listen, man, I want to help you spiritually get better. I want to just help you grow, okay? That's the first conviction, all right? And sometimes people will say, man, well, I've just been convicted about this, or I've been convicted about that, or I've been convicted about eating this, or been convicted about being an OU fan. I mean, I understand all that, right? It's like, I'm just trying to get better. Okay, that's the first conviction. The second conviction is a strong, deep, rooted, strongly held belief. I just have a burning conviction about this. So there are two different meanings. One is God speaking to me, helping me get better. The other is just a belief that's deeply ingrained inside of me that I have this deep conviction about something, all right? This is the conviction that I'm talking about with John the Baptist, okay? It was that conviction. Herod, you claim to be Jewish elite. The only reason you wanted to be Jewish is because it helped your career. See, Rome wanted people to govern themselves. Rome would always go in and look for, if they took over this group of people, they would want somebody that would befriend Rome and say, yes, we'll ally with you and we'll govern those people. So it benefited Herod and his dad and all of his family for them to be Jewish. That's why they wrote it into their, and, and so John said, listen, you claim to be elite Jewish families, but you don't want to live by our Jewish religious law and standard. And I have a deep conviction you're a hypocrite. I have a deep conviction, and it came from deep inside of him. Convenience, keep your mouth shut. You're not going to make a difference anyway. Keep your head down. In the words of the great theologian Aaron Timpin, yes, the 90s country music recording artist, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Aaron, you listening to me? You have got to teach your children a biblical world view. We're here to help. We're here every Sunday. We're here every Wednesday. But God gave your kids to you, and you have got to get that conviction down in them. Because there's going to come a day they're going to get in their little car and they're going to drive off to college. I'm going to tell you what they're going to see. They're going to be people going to be testing that conviction. And if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And parents, it is our role to make sure that our kids have a conviction about Christ and him crucified, have a conviction about in the beginning God created and a conviction that we see the world through the biblical lens or they will fall for anything. History will tell you some interesting things about John the Baptist. John is described as wearing camel's hair. That's why I picked this one, didn't have shoes on either, right? But he also lived on a diet of locusts and wild honey. And it's interesting because anytime down through the Renaissance or people painted pictures of John the Baptist, they always painted him really skinny. So if you need to lose weight, just try the diet of living on locusts and wild honey. You won't eat anything. John was also a traveling preacher. He had disciples. Two of his disciples would be the first that would follow Jesus. But history would also record his death and his beheading because he stood tall for God's word. 
Was it worth it? I don't know. But the ages have read his story. The churches have venerated him. They've sainted him. They've celebrated. They've honored him. You and I have taught him. We've taught him to our kids. We've celebrated his story. He was right, you know. History recorded John was in the right. Because he was doing the right thing. Had he always be right? Not for arrogance sake, but for accuracy sake. Had he always be right? You live your life doing the right thing. And may John's life be an example to you and I, regardless of the cost. May we as Christians be known, may we as Hillspringers, may we as followers of Christ, may we be known for always doing the right thing. And then you trust God with the rest. Because it's not always going to go the way you want it to. But there's a bigger picture that he sees that maybe we don't. Amen? Let me pray for you this morning. God, I love you and come before you today. And Lord, we gather around the story of John the Baptist. As unique as he was and as interesting as the story is that surrounds his life and his details, Father, his life screams to us in America in 2023. That you've got to be willing to stand for principle. Lord, I pray for our next generation. Lord, I pray for us as their moms and dads and pastors and youth workers and coaches and teachers and spiritual mentors. Father, I, I pray that we could ingrain in them with your help, with the Holy Spirit's help, a, a deep conviction to build their life on the biblical principle, to build their life on the truth of who Jesus is and, and what he wants for our life. Father, may we as adults do the same with ours. Even though it's hard. Every head bowed and every eye closed, here's the gospel, pure and simple. That all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned. And that sin has separated us from God. And while you were dead in that sin, God sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood, to fulfill the law, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus died so that you and I could be in relationship with our Savior. Are you right with God today? I don't know where you're at spiritually, but are you right with him today? If you were to die today, you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Would you go to hell? I don't want to leave this service. I don't want to leave this moment that I don't give you an opportunity to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The book of Romans tells us if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to lead you a prayer this morning. It's not magic words. It's the best way I know how to confess and believe. All across this room, nobody moving. If today you're not right with the Lord, I just invite you to pray this prayer. Are you ready? Just pray this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, right there at your seat, just whisper that, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you begin to change me? Make me a new person? I don't want that old life anymore. Today, Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. 
Never head bowed, never eye closed, nobody looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I just want to pray for you real quick. Nobody's looking. Just me. Flip up your hand real quick. Just lift it up real high. I want to see it. Come on. All right, in the back. All right, I see it. I see it. Okay, I see it. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Here to the living God, you see those hands and hearts today taking a step of faith towards you. Lord, knowing they're not in right relationship. God, today, praying that with earnest faith, surrendering their life to you. God, I pray you fill them with your spirit. I pray you surround them with Christians to help them walk this out, take their next step of faith. Lord, I love being a part of a church. Youth ministry is important. Kids ministry is important. Father, doing work in our community so that we might see one more person give their life to Christ. We love you. We celebrate what you're doing. In Jesus' name, come on, church. Give God the biggest praise you got this morning. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.